Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Talent. Beauty, faith, and a lot of swagger. Lynn Whitfield embodies them all. My personal connection with Lynn started when we co-starred in The Women of Brewster Place way back in 1989. And over the years, I've watched her blossom into the glamorous star she is today. Who could forget her iconic performance as the title role in The Josephine Baker Story? Lynn has a powerful sense of empathy. She's able to explore the nuanced dynamics of her characters without forfeiting their strength. And that's why Lynn was our first choice to play the indomitable Lady May on Greenleaf. Growing up in Baton Rouge in a family with a deep love for the arts, Lynn decided to chase her passion and seek out new experiences. This path sometimes took her to places that didn't welcome her, but it was through these challenges that she discovered a mighty river of internal strength. Everybody has a story, and there is something to be learned from every experience. Use your life as a class. This is Masterclass with Glenn Whitfield. Well, I grew up in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And what we have in the South is a lot of harsh stories, but one thing that we had was community. You know, I, I grew up seeing people who looked like me, who were my teachers, doctors, lawyers. Growing up in that environment gave me a sense of self, a sense of graciousness a sense of legacy. My father was a dentist. His father was a dentist. My maternal grandfather, Leo S. Butler, was an old country doctor. So, you know, I come from a family with people who led you to believe that you really needed to accomplish things. And my mother had the expectation that we always present well. My mother was very glamorous. The hair always had to be perfect, you know, edges had to be, you know, very much like I look now. I, oh my God, oh my God, I am my mother's child. But um, yes, my mother was extremely glamorous. And so it was this juxtaposition of this perfect looking family to this, very passionate people coming from their own points of view. So we did hear arguing, and I think it affected all of us. After 15 years of this sort of Camelotti, very contentious marriage, I was 15 when they separated to divorce. I was terrified of us not making it as a family. That was a big, big deal to me. 
I always felt like I could have done something to, to, to keep my family together, and it didn't work. So at 15, right in the middle of all this puberty business, my mother left, so we left, so the whole family, we lived with um, one of our aunts, and it just, everything was just a lot of upheaval and trying to find a place to sort of land and be comfortable. It never, ever felt the same um, after the divorce. It always felt like we were journeying on somewhere. Never felt settled anymore. So I was 15 and I felt like, oh, I just don't want to be here anymore, you know? Uh, and I, I, I just felt very lonely and, and kind of sad. And I remember my mother went to a fashion institute in New York. My father decided that he would uh, try to get custody of us and, uh, because she went to New York. And uh, he bought me a car because I was gonna be the new mommy, I think. I was gonna transport everybody to school. I was gonna... well, when I got that car, I think it was a Maverick, Butterscotch Maverick something. And I would go and sneak down to New Orleans at least two or three times a week, because it's only 60 miles away. And I would just go there and dream. I thought the French Quarter, because I'd never been to Paris, was the most magical, edgy, beautiful place, and I always felt I know this. I know this wrought iron. I know this lace. So I just started going more into my world. I think it was creating a lot of the fuel that made me an artist, I think. After the divorce, I, and the sort of pain and how dramatic it was, is actually when I really started revving up as an artist and gathering information that I'd be able to use over and over again, that I'd be able to use in Josephine, that I'd be able to use in Eve's Bayou. I started experiencing tremendous trauma, and I think depression, and dra just drama, 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 and boyfriends, and romance, and it was the beginning of me creating my own tribe. So there's family that you're born with, and then there's tribe. And I think that's when I decided I'm going to go away and learn to be a really good actress. And when I leave, I'll never live in Baton Rouge ever again. I uh, went to Howard University. I went to Washington, D.C. I was just so excited to be in Washington, my, my parents' alma mater. Both my grandfathers went to Howard University and went through med school and did school there. My mother and father met there. All my aunts went to Howard University. So I was very excited to, to be there. And the drama department at Howard University was amazing because the music department was upstairs and the music department had created, you know, Donny Hathaway and Roberta Flack and so many great artists had gone through the visual art scene. It was a renaissance going on. Experimental theater was going on. A huge modern art scene, an African-American, you know, scene for painters and sculptors. And uh, everybody was very, you know, you couldn't have on too many rings or too many bangles or, you know, too much of an, you, you needed it all. And it was a very busy time, but 
so exciting because I finally was in a community of people that was about what I wanted to do in my life. I finally was, you know, in acting classes until midnight. I cut off all my curly hair and got a little, little bitty afro. And I started learning about and feeding my aesthetic of what, what I would like, what I would love, what would inform so much of the work that I did. The scene was great. The music was great. Every party turned into like a, an interpretive dance kind of people expressing themselves. And, you know, it was all about personal expression and just being out there and doing it. And I became this artist, you know, in a community of people that um, I was learning with. And I really felt that, I felt I was home then. And that was very exciting for me to, to finally start my quest to, to become an artist. What I found out when I went to New York was that it, you just, uh, you're just lucky if you're working. So I got to New York and people started telling me, well, here's what you do. You get the actor's handbook and then, you know, you get pictures, you get your resume, you need to make the rounds. So what do I do when I make the rounds? The actor's guide will tell you where you go and where the offices are. Just slide your picture under the door. I said, wait, 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 wait a minute. I, but that, I didn't, I didn't do all this to like sell tampons. What do you mean? I got really freaked out and I, and I did it a little bit of it. And so they, I remember going to my commercial audition and they said, wear a plaid shirt and you know, like wear a little, you know, curly wig and, and then there you go. And it was an Alpo commercial. And so they had a fake dog and um, a little bowl and I was supposed to say whatever, I'll post the best. Oh, come on, Scotty, don't you love it? Or something like that. And I remember walking out the office, out of the audition room, and there were like 12 other women who looked just like me with curly wigs and plaid shirts and flowered shirts. And I was miserable. I was like, oh my God, this is awful. And so this whole new thing, world of the hustle, the New York hustle of, 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 of getting work as a New York actor, it was really daunting. And I had just never thought about, you know, on my, you know, actor's high horse, I was just indignant that people wanted me to slide my picture under a door to sell dog food or, you know, or soap or whatever. I, I was just, I, I was pretty lost in that and I didn't, I didn't do well at it. That's when I started to realize the difficulty, like this is really hard. What I've decided I want to do is very difficult. I'm not just gonna jump into any of those things that I saw Dorothy Dandridge or Marilyn Monroe or, or Betty Davis or anything. There is dues paying to be had. It seemed that I and God agreed that I needed to go on to Los Angeles. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. 
Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. I got a job, dear detective, Brenda Vaccaro was the star, and I was so excited. It was my first time ever shooting, like, hearing the brah! All right, everybody in place, are you ready? Go, so it's a, uh, the young lady, the secretary, where is she? And go, okay, so what are you gonna do? You're gonna walk in this door, and you're gonna, you know, walk up to the desk, and you're gonna tell her who called her that that's what you're doing, so you just walk straight to that spot. We'll be good, okay, ready? I was so terrified because it's so fast. It wasn't like theater where you, you know, you get to rehearse over and over again and you, you know, you can, you can walk out and walk back in and know where you're gonna go. And, and I didn't know how to look for a mark without looking like you were looking at a mark. So they did the whole thing. Okay, ready, ready. Okay, action. And I walked in and I walked into the little, table before I got to her desk and knock stuff off of that. It's like, okay, honey, no problem, babe. You're fine, get it. Okay, show the mark again. It was a freaking nightmare. And I walked in and I hit the mark and I was so excited that I just did that well. I could not remember what I had to say. I went out, I came back in, I could not remember my line again. It was so mortifying. And you know, and they have that saying, you know, honey, look, don't worry about it, you'll be fine. As long as you don't bump into the furniture and you know, you remember your lines, everything's good. To which I did both of them wrong. And I really, really had to build up my confidence after that because I knew I didn't do well. And so I went back to class and, oh, and then I got a call to audition for Dr. Detroit. I got that part and that was a big old Hollywood movie and that was exciting. Donna Dixon, Fran Drescher, and we, we were the ladies of the evening and Howard Hessman was our uh, pimp. And it was just great. And I was more than happy to call my mom and say, I am so excited. I got my big first Hollywood movie. And she said, what is it? I said, well, I'm, I'm a horror. And she said, well, darling, just be a good one and be glamorous. I got a call. The call said they're going to do the Josephine Baker story. I knew that I would be perfect for it from the first phone call, that I could really do this, that this is something I could sink my teeth into. And I just set about it like a sponge. I decided I'm not going in and let them put me on film uh, with all that bad lighting. So I found a place that did video that was very close to looking like film. I got Michael Peters, who was a great choreographer. Dreamgirls and Beat It and Thriller, he did all that stuff. And so I produced my own, my own little mini Josephine Baker movie. And I got their attention that way because nobody else had done that. That kind of broke me out a little bit from the pack. And then, we proceeded on to a seven-month 
exercise, seven months of, of auditioning. Brian Gibson was the director. He was extremely uh, demanding as a director and really was looking for very specific things. And so I did really well and I got down to the wire of the auditions. And then he walked up to me and said, darling, you've done a marvelous job. Marvelous, just great, great work. Now we're off to New York to do the same thing again. They were gonna have all those auditions in New York and they ultimately decided that they were going to do it with two people. Um, and I believe it was Irene Cara and Diane Carroll. So I was out of the running. And I went to what is now the Mondrian Hotel in Los Angeles and sat down and drank wine from about four o'clock in the afternoon till about eight o'clock at night and cried and listened to the jazz pianist just go on. And I went home and all of my research, all of the books, everything was like on my table. And I took them and I was so upset. I took them, stuffed them in the cabinet and just, and I said, no. I took them out and put them back on the table. And I said, I'm not, I'm not putting them away. Four months later or three months later, my agents call and say they want to see you again. Well, I used an expletive and said, no, I'm not going back in anybody's office. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to have them put me through that again or, you know, all that disappointment. So, no, I'm not going. If they want to talk to me, see if they'll talk to me at a neutral place. They finally worked it out that that I should come in and I was the only screen test. And the screen test went from seven in the morning until about five o'clock in the afternoon. We did all the ages and the costuming and all that. At that point, they brought in costume and all that. And by Monday, they said, okay. And the offer came. But it was just ridiculous. You know, Hollywood is hard. It makes you feel it demoralized sometimes, you know? Because you're trying to convince people that you can do it, that you're good enough, that you can do it, that you, you can be trusted, that you deserve it, that you won't mess up for them. And, and so I, I finally, they, they, they made the decision. Brian Gibson finally made the decision. And I feel like he should have known from the beginning. So it worked out. It was great. It was, that was a great experience. And I just, I could submerge myself like, like I thought artists were supposed to do in taking on and the research and all of that. I mean, I was, that, that's what I was built for. And, and that's how I studied. And so it was exciting to just wrap myself up and not have anything else that I had to do. At the same time, the director of Josephine Baker and I were falling in love. We were just creating something that was the best marriage that a, you know, a director and an actress can have. It was an amazing artistic marriage. And I thought it would, we thought it would translate to marriage. So we left Budapest and went to London and got married. I was kind of Christian. I was still, you know, doing whatever, whatever it was. Rose quartz, 
carry the energy, the rose quartz energy, the open art energy. So I was doing all that, and he was Buddhist. He was one of those chanting people, which was so odd to me. He was like, yang, ring, gong, ring, ring, and then the gong and the bong, and he's doing all this stuff. And he walks upstairs and he says, there's a little spirit that wants to come in and, and we should let the, I saw, I saw the spirit and we should let her come in. And I'm like, wait a minute, are you crazy? This is the best role of my life. My stomach is flat as anything from all this dance and everything I've been doing. And life is, is I'm just about to, break out. I'm not going to have a baby right now. I immediately got pregnant. I was just like so upset about all of this. I cried and cried and cried and cried and cried. And I have to tell you that my daughter Grace, she's amazing. I am so blessed. Sometimes we don't know, but God knows. Everything that seems like it's a mistake at the time, that it's the wrong thing at the time, that it's too hard at the time, that something's being taken away from you, you're being given a gift. It just doesn't feel like it. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, essential plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Lynn was experiencing the kind of success most actresses only dream about. Just weeks after giving birth to her daughter, Grace, Lynn won an Emmy for her commanding performance in the Josephine Baker story. From the outside, it looked as though Lynn was on top of the world, but the truth was far less glamorous. Trying to save her crumbling marriage while learning how to be a mother and pursuing her acting career at the same time proved overwhelming and Lynn says she felt isolated and lost. In the process of having Grace and winning an Emmy and Brian won an Emmy and the reviews of a lifetime, it was just like an amazing thing. It's like, you know, a star is born type thing. And then all of a sudden, everything started going wonkers. I was learning to be a new mother and you know, the pressure of navigating through Hollywood and everything just so that wonderful artistic marriage we had didn't translate to the marriage marriage and it all started falling apart. When Grace was months old, I did not have the tools. I didn't have the spiritual base. I didn't have the smarts to how to deal with things. And so work started slowing down. The marriage fell apart in the middle of the Rodney King riots. It was horrible. Los Angeles was burning up and so was my marriage. And it was just a lot. And that for me was when I said, okay, now these rose quartz, like they haven't been doing this. And the tarot card lady definitely, that was bullshit. She did not, that was not what she told me. That was, so what am I going to do. And so I said, okay, well, I think I better just go back to this God thing. I think I just really need 
I need some help here. So I uh, started going to churches and I remember it was New Year's Eve and Brian had grace and I was alone in the Hollywood Hills. I said, okay, I am going to this church I heard about. And I drove myself to the church. I opened the side door to this church and there was nowhere to sit. I felt like Mary and Joseph, like no room at the damn inn. Like, um, this, is, this is really depressing. And the um, first lady of the church saw me and came out and said, Lynn, Lynn, come in here, girl. I have a seat for you, come on. And, I sat down and, and that was the beginning of me starting to really find out what grace is. That's when I actually found it, or it found me. Everything that I thought I understood, everything that I thought I knew to do right, how to be smart, how to have peace, how to know that everything will work out. I didn't believe that anymore. It's called faith. I had none. And I never had, because I grew up, I didn't really have that personal relationship, like a personal relationship where you can just sit and say, okay, God, you got my back. Whew. And I have that now. And that's probably the most authentic part of me at this point in my life, yeah. It was um, really interesting uh, having grace at a time when I had my biggest career opportunity, you know, biggest exposure in my work. And I don't know when everything started shifting, but what I did know uh, when I had grace I made a decision, and I think sometimes you just have to decide um, without fear, but I also made it with my spiritual growth. My daughter is going to be okay. I am going to hear her. I am going to listen to her passions. I'm going to create a legacy. Maybe it was egotistical at the end of the day, but I don't think so. I just feel that I wanted to parent a person to be comfortable with themselves, to express themselves, to have a balance in their lives. And so I'm still becoming comfortable with everything, and I become more comfortable as I see it manifest in her, as I see the wholeness coming into being, not without its challenges and all that, because uh, Brian became very ill, uh, with cancer, and he died. And when he died, I knew that I really had to, in the fullness of faith, move forward and try to raise a, a healthy child. That was a challenge. And so I don't know if I decided that motherhood was okay or or it was decided for me, but what I did decide, and I think every human being can decide, is that I am going to do well in this. I'm going to see this through. I'm going to make the most of it. Maturing in this business is no joke. It's very 
hard and it snuck up on me and it just hasn't stopped. It just keeps on coming. It's the, it's the life of the artist, you know, it just keeps going. You, you're the ingenue, you're the powerful woman, you're, you know, the sexy thing, then you're the mother, then you're the grandmother, then you're the... And so my goal in my, in my career as an artist is to keep all that stuff combined. I think that femininity, sensuality doesn't go away because I still have all, everything that I had as a, as a younger woman, and I don't know how it happens. It's how Hollywood does it. I mean, and, and sometimes it's ahead of time you know, or you want to work, so you do things that speed that process along, and then, you know, before you know it, they don't see you in anything but mother roles or appendage roles. It can be frustrating, and you have to keep it moving. Some years, it's like, okay, I'm so frustrated, there's just nothing to do, uh, and then uh, something comes along, and you have that creative uh, opportunity to to share it all and really to have a bit of activism just in how you approach it, to not give in to all of that, to give them an option that perhaps they didn't think of. It's up to us to hold on to our spirits. It's up to us, up to me personally, not to get jaded and hard-hearted about it. It's up to me to still feel that I am a sensual woman. It's me, I carry that energy. And nobody is gonna, you know, just get inside my spirit and say, okay, you can't, we don't, we, you can't feel like that. I own me. I got a call saying Oprah wants to really do some television that, is very interesting, and there's a role, and it's Lady May Greenleaf, and I, I, you know, I read it, and I didn't see why they wanted me, and I talked to the producer, Craig um, Wright, and I said, well, why me? I mean, what? They had her written as the stern Lady May, first lady of the church, and I said, uh, Okay, no, that why? I don't want to, that doesn't seem exciting, yes? And so when I talked to Craig, he said he would be, you know, collaborative and he read a scene that would be in an episode. I said, oh, okay, well, I can kind of see why you'd want me and to do this and a long conversation. And at the end of it, he said, so can I call Oprah and tell her you'll do it? I, I thought I would have to go through meetings and whatever and seeing a rewrite. I said, well, okay. So it appears that that um, Oprah thought I was the right person for it. And so I proceeded to approach Lady May as somebody who's still got it going on and who doesn't want to lose her legacy and who is the queen of her roost and who will not allow anybody to take what she's worked so hard for, but it's fun. And I think I've begun to create something that the audience loves and she's quotable and they quote her and they like her and she's sassy still. And so it's kind of giving me an opportunity to do all the things that you know I was talking about, keep a warm and sensual and fun and a sense of humor and a 
integrity and poise and grace about stuff and not, you know, go down the steely stern, you know, first lady in the bun and the bad shoes and the long missionary skirt. No, so I've made it, she's, she's a, a very approachable character in a way. And so it's been really fun so far to, to bring her to life. And maybe we'll go a little bit deeper and pull back some layers and see what it's all about. You know, at a certain point, you know what you like. You know what you like to look like, you know what you like to live in. So that's an aesthetical truth of what you like to be surrounded with. Inner truth is a constant reset, checking, looking back. Is this, what am I feeling? Is it true? Why am I off balance? I constantly, you know, have to go back to that. Every circumstance brings something new and it's always an adjustment. I, I feel so impressed and inspired by people who, you know, when they say I, I've, I've I've discovered it, I'm good, my life is, I know who I am now. I'm constantly readjusting and I constantly feel like a work in progress. And I think from the minute that I really accepted that the passion and purpose that I have and with so many things that I want to do, I, I don't feel like I've accomplished enough. There's so much more that I have to do, that I have to say, that I have to grow into. You know, I never understand this thing where people say, well, I've reinvented myself, because if authenticity is everything, so I try to find that balance. It's already inside me. My sensibility of, of truth is there, of peace. It's already inside me, and I can recreate that wherever I go, be it a role, be it a, my life, it's inside me, and so I just continue to create the outer manifestation of it wherever I am and try to keep the inner truthful, honest, authentic. It really nurtures me to look to people who I respect, who I feel have gone through many of my challenges and accomplished things that I adore. Um, I look to my icons, my heroes, for inspiration, and uh, one of my inspirations is Ruby Dee. I think she is amazing, and I just followed her through her life. I came across this one poem that she loved, and I love because it makes me stay immediate. It keeps me kind of in whatever the task of today is. And I also think it's really good for people right, right now. Anyway, it's very healing to me. It says, today is ours, let's live it. And love is strong, let's give it. A song can help, let's sing it. And peace is dear, let's bring it. The past is gone, don't rue it. Our work is here. Let's do it. The world is wrong. Let's right it. The battle is hard. Let's fight it. The road is rough. Let's clear it. The future fast. Don't fear it. Is faith asleep? Let's wake it.
because today is ours. Let's take it. As Lady May in Greenleaf, and in all her roles before it, Lynn has been in tune with her own authenticity every step of the way. From seeing herself in silver screen icons as a little girl, to becoming a star and giving performances that are uniquely her own. Yet with all of her talent and poise, Lynn understands that she's still a work in progress. And so she strives to let go of the past while always fully living in the present. Miss Lynn Whitfield, for your talent, for all of your glamour and your swagger, your strength and your faith, you are a master. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Masterclass, the podcast. You can follow Masterclass on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't already, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Masterclass podcast. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.